Welcome. I'm Gretchen Keith-Steidel, and this is Synergo's Cultivate the Soul podcast. Stories of purpose-driven philanthropy from around the world. Over this 10-part series, we explore together the intersection of contemplative practice, spirituality, philanthropy, and social impact. Join us as we dive into the personal journey of each guest and what they have discovered about the role of inner work on one's capacity to change the world. To learn more about each of our guests and view our full episode list, please visit synergos.org slash podcast. I'm Esra Osuar, the president of Maya Bakfa Foundation. And one way that I cultivate the soul is through the seeding the souls. It's a soul work that we do, and it's to ensure the continuity of healthy, beautiful generations for our planet. We're joined by Ezra Ozuar. She's founder and president of Maya Vakfa Foundation, launched in 2014 to provide psychosocial support, community awareness, and integration of Syrian and Turkish children. As part of her work, Ezra partnered with the Turkish Ministry of Education to establish a trauma-informed schools program. Ezra has more than 20 years of executive management experience in the business sector and a lifelong passion for children's rights. She led IKEA Turkey's philanthropic programs and helped build health, education, and social programs for children in 10 cities across Turkey. Ezra's also a master Reiki and contemplative practitioner. She's now working on Harmony, an online school of healing, teaching certified alternatives to traditional approaches to trauma and psychology. Her full bio is on our podcast website. You'll hear how the fusion of spirituality and philanthropy is a game changer. Welcome, Ezra. I'm really looking forward to learning more about your personal journey. Would you be willing to start with a story from your childhood that can share a little bit about your earliest exposure to religion, inner awareness, or a sense of spirituality and how it shaped you? Thank you for this. I think intuition, you're born with this gift. It's a gift. And I was born with this gift, with a light that I was always shining, always happy, always grateful. I was called within all age groups, always loving uh, in the nature, very connected to the nature, without having realized that I was doing the natural way of connectedness, actually. And it was within the natural flow. And religion, I wouldn't call it religion then, but for me, nature was my religion because it was where I would feel the most connected. I would talk to the trees. I would talk with all kinds of... The insect world was my world. So I had all these insects in my garden and they would come to my room and I had all these kind of stories built within my whole imagination. So imagination and my, it was uh, built within, let's say, my own self. So helping them and building that life was all I had. Where I suffered the most, I think, was when I was taken away from that world. So Awakening is 
something when it happens sometimes when something either traumatic happens without knowing that it is trauma actually. Trauma is something that is realized afterwards. The cause is trauma. That what happened was that during the end of 1970s in Turkey, where you had the, some kinds of conflicts, and I was taken away from my school, my home in Turkey, and I was led to live in Switzerland, which was a great opportunity for a child. But the child, if it wasn't explained to that child, was broken at heart. That was scary for me. I was nine years old. It's a difficult time for a child to be. It was when a child discovers the rest of the world that is offered to a child. The discoveries are made for a child. So I was in, a, in an unknown place at a boarding school. Everything was new, so it was trauma. And that led, obviously, to starting veiling, I think. This is, I can now say it, starting to veiling all my light on my opportunities that I was born with or gifts that I was born with. And then for every occasion that I had, I started having illnesses because I wasn't happy on my own body. I was giving reflections that I wasn't happy, that I was deceived by getting very ill. And I could get ill, but I could get also healed by myself. So I could give you an example by having, let's say, a very big uh, surgery in my urinary organs. And then I could get extremely healed, very fast healed, because I could heal myself. And you were aware of that? And I was aware of that, yeah. Wow. It was incredible. And this went on and on for years and years until I came back to Turkey got very married very at an early age, got my responsibilities at a very early age, got to be a mother at uh, 22 years old, three children, but always keeping my own world for myself. So I was feeling that I was very gifted, but I was always suppressing it because of social pressures as well, because they were saying, Esra, you're talking about too many imaginary things because I was dreaming a lot and I couldn't feel that I could talk about my dreams because they would say, Esra, she's talking again about her dreams, you know. We shouldn't forget that we're culturally also living in a country where when you talk about dreams, when you talk about spirituality, it's uh, a little bit culturally you can get people around you might judge you. So I was also afraid when I was young to be judged. So I silenced. I silenced for a while until I got an intestine cancer at, at an early age. So that was a very big illness. It was like a huge trauma coming out and saying it's a rejection of who you are and you want to get out of your shell. Many alternative medicine, it was then, in the States, I got cured. And many complementary medicine of today, people that we know of, actually came. It was in Columbia Presbyterian. Uh, they came and gave me their services. It was in an experiential period then. It was in 19... 
I think it was in uh, 1994, year 1994, I opened up. It was like, oh my God, a dream is coming true. You know, hypnosis, I love hypnosis. They were doing Reiki and I said, I accept this because it's the divine intelligence. I was already there. They were saying, you are a healer. And I was saying, am I? And they're saying, yes, please do accept it. That is how my awakening started in year 1994, accepting it. Bringing back your intuition and that light out into the open again. It was beautiful. It was like the doors were opening. And, you know, when you accept that the doors open for you, universe gives you more because you recognize that you are part of it. It's surrendering it and it's beautiful. And when you're there, it's like pouring of beauty. So uh, this is how I became a Reiki master in 1994. When I came back, I got my master's degree. And then uh, I was judged in Turkey that I was doing woodwork work in 1994. So I was so upset. I put everything back. I took all my uh, diplomas and I put them at the very back of the wardrobe. Oh, and no. I said, <laughs> oh, yes. And I said, if people are judging me, maybe I'm a wooden woman and I don't want to be related to this anymore. So I closed it for another 15 years. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Until I got, you know, work started. I was a businesswoman. I was starting. And in every business that we were in retail, we were in construction business, I was always doing social responsible programs and projects for our companies and always related to children and children's rights. And something is so attractive and flowing in my own energy field about giving service to children because I believe that children are our future. It's the generation that is going to cure the planet. So that strengthened me and it was empowering me. I had a huge accident in 2000. I had a surgery and following that, a huge embolism. My goodness, you've been through so much. The embolism went to my heart, and I went through a near-death experience. And that experience changed the flow of my life. Can you tell us about it? I can tell you how it changed, because I resigned from the private sector. I started energy work. I got connected with the whole universe and divine intelligence. I opened up myself. I started listening and hearing and tasting and started playing with all the five senses. I came out of my shell. I communicated with my son when he came to me and I listened to him. I didn't just verbally converse with him, but I really heard what he was saying. And I think this is a very important message for everyone, because I want to say this, that not just to pretend to listen, but it's very important of when one a young person comes to you or anyone that comes to you, you really have to get what their message is. You know, if I wouldn't have listened to my son, 
maybe today we wouldn't have that foundation. So the day that he came, he said, Mommy, the pain you have in your eye and the pain that I've been going through with the fear that I was going to lose you, I see it in the eyes of the refugee children and their families. And he said, I know that you and I, if we get together, we can save so many lives. And I told him, Emir, bring me a research, bring me something. And those days, I didn't have the strength to get out of bed because I went through so much. I was doing energy work. I was doing my Reiki, my healings. But I was like very, very tired. And when he brought me all the study and all the influx that was coming from the borders to Turkey, it was like during the war. I'm talking about 2012. The war is going on on the borders. We have children, women coming out on the borders, no controls on the borders. The basic needs are tremendous, no money, no funding, no services yet. So it was like an emergency state. So he said, let's go to the border to visit the camps. I said, Emir, how can we visit the camps? But I told you, when the universe opens the doors, you have to follow them. And if you have your intuition, and if you believe in it, it opens those doors. So within a week, we were at the camps. Within two weeks, we had started our workshops. I don't know. We were three to start, then we became four. One of the best war specialists of mental health and psychosocial joined us from nowhere. You know, it happened that she came back from New York and she was there for the earthquake situation that had happened recently in Turkey. She joined us. When something is meant to happen for goodness, it happens. And we were all there for service. So we started, you know, our search, the assessments of what is needed in the south of Turkey, at the border side. And then we said, all of us, and my son, by the time he was 16, imagine a boy of 16 giving us, you know, insight and his feelings. It was incredible. It is like uh, maybe one day we should write the story as a book. I think so. <laughs> it's really uh, something. It's an amazing story. And uh, we came back to Istanbul and we started at the city sites of Istanbul, which had become like little Syria. It was difficult to get in, a lot of ghetto. And we started working for mental health and psychosocial, doing holistic work, meaning we introduced art therapy, we introduced movement, we introduced music therapy for children of the age of 5 to 12. And by the time, in two years, we extended the program to 5 to 14 years old with a team of 20 people. And it was only workshops. By the end of 2000, mid-2015, I told my family members, I said, this has become big and I cannot manage a workshop. I said, we have to do, you know, make a foundation. And that's how the family and I, we founded my foundation, which is giving mental health and psychosocial for marginalized communities, host communities, which are under distress, under disadvantaged children and youth now. So we extended our program's age to 25 today. We're over 100 employees. 
350 volunteers on the ground. I'm very proud to say that they're all lovingly and working with all their hearts to make it better every day. This is a little bit of a short preview for you what Maya Wakfa was established. Ezra, thank you. That is such an extraordinary story. And I'm really moved by the profound wisdom that your son had at such a young age. Is he still involved in your programs? So this is what happened. He was 16. We were all the time together. He was a national swimmer. He was swimming since he was five years old. So we were too much together and we were feeling each other. He was at an age where he was scared to lose me because mummy's, you know, heart stopped. Everybody knew, did I die, didn't I die? He, he went through that, that stage. He was a very sensitive child and very emotional. Emotional IQ was high at that age. But once off to university, off to business life, your priorities change in life. And then I think he's a little bit veiled not now, but it will come back. We're working on how second generation has to take over philanthropy in families because it is very important. So I think that when his time will come, he will take over <laughs> but because he started it with me. So, For sure. And you've already spoken in your own amazing journey of transformation, how we can move through these periods of being really attuned to and aligned with our purpose and then losing touch with it and coming back to it as different things happen and call us. I wanted to express that, especially express that, because I think people in general, you know, have this tendency of saying, now I am open, now I'm closed. Am I ever going to be getting this calling. There's not such a thing. We all have it. It's a matter of being in, in the moment. It's just surrendering to the divine and our breath is there. Being in the breath, in the current, and the current is all life. Once we learn this, I think the vibration that we project is all. And be kind and see the beauty that's all there is. This is what I call, you know, living through the heart. Um, I may, if I want to express that, I am a Sufi. I'm a Sufi since a young age. And the time that I progressed, now I'm old enough to say that it has a lot of impact on my growth in spirituality, in uh, taking everybody and loving Loving unconditionally, actually. Is there one particular practice that has brought you this level of wisdom over the years that you feel has been most profound for you? Yes, there is. There are two practices, actually. One is I meditate every day because meditation keeps me aligned, keeps me in my breath. It's a reminder that... We are connected, we are one, and we are the divine, with the divine. And also it puts me back to my rhythm, if I am a little bit out of my rhythm. So every day I meditate. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that every year since my childhood, 
I fast during Ramadan, so I fast for a month. I think that during that period, I learn a lot. I remember a lot. I'm always a grateful person, but my gratitude level gets higher and higher and higher every year, I think. And recently, I see that my tolerance is higher. My tolerance has expanded, let me say. <laughs> Not higher, but expanded. How do you think the sense of greater gratitude and tolerance and all of the inner work you're doing, how does it inform and influence your social change work as well? So let me give you an example. We work in the field, Gretchen. You know that you work yourself, you see things, you see the change. So when work on a field, it has an impact on the community and a social change. So we have to talk about it. So you take that work from your own world, you create that surrounding and you take it to the community, but you take it from there to an outside world, which we call it advocacy in the modern world. But you make other people realize really what you've experienced and what you can offer and what they can also see. So it is actually maybe kind of a, like a bridging leadership that you're doing. But within a context, I call it, we create ecosystems. Because if you create ecosystems, that's the community, and then that's the country, and then from that country, it's, it's the other countries, and from that country, it's the, you know, it's the whole world. So if I can talk, then other people will realize that you have changed something. So philanthropy and spirituality, it's a big game changer. Say more about that. Spirituality, they coexist together in philanthropy because philanthropy, without a spiritual existence, without having the heart, without having compassion, without having the love, without having the care, respect, the trust that we're building uh, wouldn't exist. So they coexist together. And I think that that makes a transformation. That's why it's a game changer. This is what my personal belief is. This is what I have experienced, even in societies like ours, even that sometimes you think that the communities wouldn't accept what you're talking about. Well, with kindness and with some trust that you can build, you can really make a change. And that's very important. It makes perfect sense. I'm wondering if you could share a memorable story, perhaps an interaction with a young person that helped affirm for you that this was your purpose, that working with children in this way, you were really called to be doing. <laughs> I've encountered so many. <laughs> a girl, her name is Fatma. She was coming from uh, Atme, so it's close to the border. She had lost her mommy. She had lost her daddy. She came in here to Turkey with her grandparents, and uh, she was at the border. So it was a tradition that when you don't have parents, some of the neighbors or some of the family members can take you to Istanbul and can register which even though was not permitted like six years ago, it happened under their family. And those families, most of them, lived like in 
60 square meters. I don't know if it, that makes sense. I don't know to convert, but it's a small area. But within that small area, they lived like three to four families with like four members by per family. So it makes a lot of crowd. Imagine in small area. It's uh, terrible. So Fatma, when she came to our center, we have a center for MHPSS, mental health and psychosocial and child protection. She couldn't even hold a pencil or a pen or she didn't know the colors. She didn't know what feelings were. So it was her first maybe one month or second month. I came into the room. She looked at me and I didn't know what they were really working on. And I said, can you show me what colors are you feeling within your body? Because I knew that that week they were going over the feelings with colors. But Fatma was like without no reaction. She was so embarrassed that she didn't know colors. She didn't know the feelings. And uh, she started overreaction. And then she started crying and bursting in tears. And she was like all over the place. And then suddenly she came out of the chair and she ran to me. And she started hugging me and she put her head on my neck and she stayed there. Oh. How beautiful. It is very beautiful. And we contained the room so that the other children wouldn't get out of their contained area. Of, so they would remain silent and still and continue their work. But she felt so helpless that she couldn't define that she didn't know. She couldn't say anything. But probably she needed a mummy and she needed help. So she came and she, I think it was love, it was pure love that she was looking for that moment. It was one of the moments that I felt so emotional, but I said, Estra, you're doing something so beautiful for these children. Just even to give them love, I think it's all what they need. Later on, Fatma, after I think eight weeks, we were filming for a founder of ours, a British founder. She was the highlight in the movie. Uh, she had a pan in her hand and she was talking for Maya Vakfa and she was saying it's one of the most beautiful places and she loves waking up and she loves staying there and she was the spokesperson for us. So you see, when you touch the heart and when the heart talks to one another, that's what I call communication you know it's the hearts talking to hearts you don't have to talk you don't have to teach she doesn't even have to know what emotions are or what colors are her heart was talking to my heart and she came to hug me and she wanted to feel safe and she trusted that's what's important I think what an amazing story it's the power of love to transform yeah it is love it's pure love what would you say to other philanthropists about how important it is to understand and to connect with the lived experience of those that they're hoping to support? So this is very important. It's not what generally funding is about, okay? It's what they really are connected with. So look out for what is really touching you in life. What is really your purpose? 
because if you are only concerned with giving, then empathy or compassion or love is not in philanthropy. Then your place is not to be a philanthropist. A philanthropist, especially a spiritual philanthropist, is someone who is in, in love, who is totally immersed with the purpose. So I would say if they are there, themselves they have to be in there. They have to touch what they're doing. They have to touch their heart and listen to their heart. Not count the numbers, not count the amount of funding, but the result of how happy or how well-being of that result. So this is what's important. Beautiful. What's next for you, Ezra, that you're most excited about right now? Yeah, I'm excited with a few things. I think one must learn from what we're doing. And we have the opportunity from what we've seen, we've learned, and now we can expand our work to a new world. So now it's a phase of learning to a new phase in my life. We're adding few new programs and new ventures, working on two things. One is, like you've mentioned, we are working on how to be able to offer more services on human body and soul through the heart. So we have the opportunity to make a model on how to work through the heart and understand the heart. We can talk about the heart a lot, but the heart has the intellect and it has the emotion. So we can combine that and then apply to the body and the soul and the mind and make them all. It's beautiful. It's very exciting. How are you going about that? So how are we going about that, uh, Gretchen? <laughs> you are a great supportive of our foundation and our work, so thank you. I'm very humbled about it and very grateful. We are at the verge of looking for funding and uh, for partnerships. It's very exciting because it's creating new methodology as well as it's a hub for also people like us, like yourselves, like field workers, new therapeutical approaches to be able to come and maybe offer their work to find more exposures and to be measured and practiced for a bigger scale because we can offer a lab for incubation. So it is on the way. You're talking about Harmony, the online school of healing? Yes, I'm talking about Harmony Spiritus. It's going to be a school for healing, all kinds of energy healing, let's say. So this is a new area, very exciting area. Fantastic. Where can people go to learn more about your work, to become involved or to learn how they can support you and learn from you? On our website, so it's www.mayabakfi.org. And they can learn us through Synergos. We are also at the Synergos site. And on YouTube, Maya Vakfi on YouTube, we have some movies. We have some of our advocacy that we've done until now. That's where we are. 
Is there one last nugget of wisdom that you might want to offer to philanthropists just getting started in the realm of inner work? I think I can. It is listening to their intuition. Intuition is something like given to us, but it's also in the river that is flowing in us. So you have to follow that river. This is how it works for me. It might flip, so you have to follow in order to welcome it. So intuition is a guide and it's also a compass if you really catch it and follow it. So I would say to them, you might ask me, when you talk about intuition, Esra, what is intuition? Okay, I will tell you. It is the voice in your heart when you stop all the voices in your mind. So please, stop all, silence your mind. We stop everything in your mind. And it is when your heart starts speaking to you. That's intuition. And the heart speaks beautifully. It whispers. And that whisper, when it is listened to, that's our truth. So I hope that our newcomers would follow their intuition. That's my wish for them. Thank you, Ezra, so much for your wisdom and your story of profound personal and social transformation. It's been such a pleasure talking with you today. No, thank you, Gresham. It's always a pleasure to be a host of yours and all my love to you. And to you. Thank you. Cultivate the Soul is presented by Synergos, copyright 2021. To learn more, visit Synergos.org and find more episodes at Synergos.org slash podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever the best podcasts are found. Thanks for listening.